0: profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. Today I want to talk about 40-hour fiction. This is the notion that we need to work a 40-hour work week because that's the standard. That's what other people do. That's the going model. Everybody works 9 to 5 or 8 to 4. And we have a whole system, economy, business, organization, structure, all of it set up around this idea of a 40-hour workweek. But the 40-hour workweek when you are a business owner is just notional. And the need to work 40 hours is entirely fictional. You get to decide how many hours a week you want to work. And a problem with the 40 hour work week is that it is a standard target for many people to shoot for. And because it's so common and because it's set up as the standard and the norm, a lot of business owners shoot for a 40 hour work week, even though what they want to be doing is working a 25 hour work week or a 15 hour work week, eventually a 5 hour work week or a no hour work week. The 40 hour work week is the main target, and because it is the main target used by so many, there's an unconscious gravitational force to shoot for it, even if it's not necessarily what you want. So I wanna talk about the process of getting down from an overworked state, be it 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, from an overworked state down to a 40 hour work week and what that looks like, and then setting up to get down to a 25 hour work week and letting go of the convention and the safety, the appearance of safety of the conventional 40-hour workweek and taking a fresh approach so that you can have the business that you want and have the life that you want with your business that supports it and fits nice and neatly inside that life. Without intentional consideration to the number of hours a week that you actually want to work and deciding to make that your target, then we run the risk of succumbing to the sort of going model, the gravitational force of the 40 hour work week. And because many of us tend to wear rose colored glasses about how long things take and they seem like they should be easier than they in fact are to implement, a lot of CPAs end up working 45, 50, 60 hours a week to compensate for wearing rose colored glasses about the nature of the challenges of running a business and getting everything done that needs to happen. And I wanna share with you a couple of examples today so that you can hear what it sounds like and what the process sounds like just to normalize it and make it sound doable in your mind and to get out of incremental improvement thinking. Because if you're at 50 hours a week or 60 hours a week, incremental improvement is probably not fast enough for you in the same way that say, if a person wanted to lose five pounds, that losing a 10th of a pound a week, which is an incremental improvement, is going to mean taking 50 weeks to lose five pounds. And a person probably doesn't want it to take 50 weeks. They'd rather it take five weeks. Incremental improvement if you're at 50 or 60 hours a week might be too slow for you. And I don't want for your improvement to be too slow. I want it to go quickly. And you can go from working a 60 hour a week down to a 40 hour week in four months. So let me give you an example from my own business, just because sometimes it can be easier to hear an example from somebody that's outside your industry, so you kind of don't get tangled up in the story. Now, I recognize that my business is different from yours. I am a coach. You are an accountant or a CPA. My product is different than yours. My business model is different than yours. So yes, of course there are differences, and there are a lot of similarities. We both offer high-value services and products. We both work in the B2B space. We both work primarily virtually. We both offer expertise that makes clients' lives better in the form of improved wealth, improved profitability, reduced costs, reduced time wasted, and getting time back. So even though the vehicle that we use is different, there are plenty of similarities about how we work that I think it's a useful example. In my own business, I've been running my own experiment lately because where I was in January was at 35 hours a week, plus about five hours of bleed time at home on mobile. And those five hours were no big deal. It was usually in front of the fire and just kind of clearing things out for the day. So I didn't mind it too much, but I also knew that I could be on the floor doing a puzzle with my kids or something. So I was aware that that was something that I wanted to stop doing at home and instead get to that in my regular workday and also get my... Time down to 25 hours a week. And if you've been listening for a while, you may know that historically I was working one on one with coaches. And then about a year and a half ago, I filled to capacity with one on one and wanted to have more of an impact for more people and help them get great results even faster and at an easier, more accessible price point. So I moved, so I added a group offering. Anytime you add an offering in your business, of course, it takes some effort to get it up and running and implemented. And in January, I was in the place where I was ready to systematize and optimize and do some in the work behind the scenes business to clean things up and go from 35 hours down to 25. And I also knew that in that process, I would likely run into things that would be valuable for me to know because you would probably be running into those same or similar experiences as you went from 40 hours down to 25. So I wanna give you my high level approach and you can use what's useful to you to think about how you might implement this in your own business. Once you've stabilized your business and gotten to 40 hours and you can hang out there and it's stable and it's calm. So I looked at my own business and I asked myself, where am I burning the most time? What is the most inefficient thing that I do? And no surprise, the answer was email. Email can be like a garden in May after the spring rains. It's like, you gotta get in there and you gotta clean it out and you gotta tame it and cut things back. And that happened, you know, my email over time, I just you know, I subscribed to things and I get signed up for things and bring in new pieces of software that get new notifications and all the rest. So the first thing that I did in January was decide that I was gonna tame my email beast. I thought it was only going to take two weeks. It ended up taking five weeks because I ran into some unexpected hiccups. But I was ruthless about unsubscribing. I was ruthless about filtering out emails that I just didn't need to know about during the middle of my workday and my focus time. It was fine to look at them after and be aware of things, but I didn't need them interrupting my focus and my train of thought. And I was ruthless about getting rid of anything that I just did not need to know about. My version of taming my email will almost certainly be different than yours because I'm on a Mac and I use Gmail and Chrome, you're likely to be on a PC and perhaps using Microsoft Teams and Outlook. So the tools, if you will, will almost necessarily be different, but my approach and the end outcome that I wanted was to only receive emails that I absolutely needed to know about and wanted. So for example, yesterday I received one email in my inbox and it was from my book editor that my manuscript was ready. No other emails landed in my inbox. Everything else got filtered. And at the end of the day, I went through, check, unread, looked at them all and was like, yep, nope, don't need to know, mark as read, done. Whereas previously, all of those little individual emails would have been cluttering my inbox and distracting me from what I really need to work on. How you get there will be different than how I got there but the thing that is in common is the decision to get there. The second thing I did was look at my time. Once I got about five hours a week back from email, I looked at my time and I was like, what else can I batch? What have I been doing onesie twosies that I need to do five of, because there's five business days a week and I could do them all together on Monday. And there were a couple of things that were getting fragmented across my calendar that I grouped together and batched them. And doing that got me another couple of hours back a week. With those hours, I got better at planning ahead. So usually I'm about two weeks out in terms of my calendar. I have it planned about that length of time out and I know what I'm gonna be doing and working on what needs to get done and everything that I know I need to get done, including podcast episodes and daily emails to my list and prepping webinar slides and so on is laid out in my calendar so that everything has a spot and I know that I have time allocated to get it done. But when I had more time to plan ahead, I had more time to think farther out into the future and look even three months out at things that I know I wanted to have done by three months out and then slot things, reverse engineer backfill things in so that I didn't risk overfilling my calendar because when I look two weeks out ahead, there starts to be white space. And sometimes if I previously, if I wasn't paying attention, I might have meetings with people that I wanted to connect with and... I might schedule meetings with people in my network who I wanted to connect with or other kinds of conversations that I actually didn't have time for when I went farther out into my calendar and backfilled some of the bigger projects that I knew that I wanted to get to. So. Number three, planning ahead has smoothed out my calendar, smoothed out my workflow, and it's made it smoother for the people around me. Now, this is not to say that I don't experience any hiccups or wrinkles in my business because I do, but the more that I plan ahead and plan ahead with the people who I work with, my contractors, my vendors, and so on, the smoother everything gets, not just for me, but also for them. The fourth thing that I did once I had a bit of even more free time as things got smoother was ask myself, okay, what's next? I tackled the email gorilla. I batched and I got better at planning ahead. Now what is chewing up time that I wish wasn't? And the answer was slides for webinars. Now, it seems like these things should be really easy, that I could just, in my own mind, with my rose-colored glasses, could go in and put together a set of slides for a 45-minute webinar in 30 minutes. But in reality, it was taking me two hours. And what was happening was that I was making way too many slides and I didn't know it. So I took this problem to my own business coach who does really great, super simple, high-value webinars. And I was like, hey, this is costing me two, three hours every time I do this. What is your system for this so that I can cut some hours off my own system? And he gave me his own system and he looked at my slides and he's like, no, you have 25 slides. You need to have 10. And I thought, oh, well, that's really useful to know. So now I do 10 slides instead of 25 and it's way easier, obviously, and my webinars are better because they are more focused, they're tighter And there's more time for Q&A because I don't have to hurry through the end of my slides, so to speak, less is more. And the fifth thing that I ran into was of course my own thinking, my own mindset about my time. And I pay close attention to how I feel because it's my dashboard for when something is going on. So if I start to feel myself feeling pinched or a little bit stressed or backed up against a deadline or like a little bit kind of frantic or hurried or pressured, that's immediately a little yellow flashing light that I need to check out what I'm thinking. Because what I'm thinking is probably not in my own best interest. Because if I get a little bit, um, because if I start to feel a little bit of time pressure to get something done, I tend to not be as effective. Sometimes I'll make mistakes, which means that I end up having to fix my work. And sometimes other people have gone off of what I had and they've, my mistake has, percolated down the line. And so then they have stuff they need to fix, which costs them time and me money. So I pay close attention to what I'm experiencing because it's such a good dashboard for me to take a step back and ask myself if what I'm thinking is serving me. And if not, then change what I'm thinking. And some thoughts I ran into sounded like everybody needs something from me or, oh my God, I'm being pulled in a thousand directions or, ah, there's not time for this or oh, look, there's no time for me. And when I thought those thoughts, I would just catch it and go, wait a minute, these thoughts are not serving me because they're only exacerbating whatever sort of spin that I'm in. And whenever I'm in a spin, like I said, I don't do, my work is not as effective and it's more error prone. So whenever that happens, I catch myself, I go for a walk around the block if I need to, and then redirect my mind to think thoughts that are more productive for me, like, I have time for my people and I have time for me. And when I'm organized, it helps other people stay organized and that's good for them. It's good for me to plan ahead so that I can be organized so they can be organized. There's time for all the things that are most important. So what's most important and what am I going to do next and right after that? And that's it. And I make time for me. When I was thinking there's no time for me, I kept perpetuating there's no time for me and I wasn't getting out for exercise, I wasn't running and so on. But when I thought I make time for me, I asked myself, ooh, how do I make time for me? And I hired a 20 year old who does a whole ton of errands and I don't do laundry, I don't clean, I don't go to the grocery store for food and now I have time for me for like $100 a week. So through this process, I also worked on my thinking because the more I could switch myself into more productive, effective thoughts, the more time I started getting back for myself. Now, 12 weeks later, it's April 7th, I started in the first week of January, I was working 35 hours a week plus five hours of bleed, and now for the last six weeks, I've been working 25 hours a week. And I get the same amount of stuff done, I actually get more important work done. My take-home pay is steady by design, my margins are trending up, and my cash reserve is increasing. And I tell you those details because a lot of CPAs will immediately knee-jerk to the thought, well, if I work less, I'm gonna take a revenue hit. And I want you to consider the opposite, that you can work less and you can work on your business to increase your revenue. And your revenue is not reliant on the time that you put in. Your revenue is reliant on how much value you create for your clients and how effective you are at capturing that value created with your prices. So now let me give you an example of a client who I've been working with since December, early January, the holidays. We got started right before the holidays. And when we started, she was working 60-hour weeks on the regular, and that still wasn't enough. It was just the max that she could work. And I want to tell you the process that we went through because it's the process that I take all of my clients through. It is universally the same with obviously some customizations along the way because your businesses are a little bit different and you have slightly different needs. But at a high level, the approach is the same. And I want you to know what it is so that you can imagine going through this process and making a decision to get yourself off the 50 or 60 hour a week hamster wheel because you do not need to be on it. So the first thing that we do for a client who is basically working effectively overtime, 50, 60, 70 hours a week is disengage. We've gotta clean the sand out of the gears. It's slowing things down and mucking everything up and it's occupying a bunch of real estate in your mind that you just don't have typically we'll disengage about 15%. It just depends on revenue and cash flow. We always manage to cash flow so that you stay out of money scarcity. That's not a good place for your mind to be. We do not want your mind distracted by any amount of money scarcity. So we disengage typically about 15% in the first round just to free up some breathing room for you and for you to have the experience that you know you can disengage clients and you won't die and neither will they. And most of them, the vast majority, are okay. Typically, there will be a small handful of squawkers. And we give your front desk staff person a script so that you don't have to handle whatever sort of disappointed clients come back to you. Your front desk person can handle those. Now, you get to have customization rules if you have certain people that you absolutely want to talk to. That's fine. It's up to you. But at a high level, what I want you to know is that we disengage so that you know you can go through this process. And typically what happens is the CPA feels an enormous amount of relief as soon as those letters go out the door. While we are disengaging or once those letters go out the door, we're looking at your best clients and we're high grading. Can imagine in a complimentary way that they are like a container of mixed nuts. There's pecans, cashews, walnuts, Brazil nuts, hazelnuts. Some people like the hazelnuts, other people think they're bitter. There's no right or wrong. You get to look at your client roster and high grade the ones that you wanna work with. So this is step two. We high grade, we package and we reprice and we serve them at a higher level. And what happens in here is that when we package and we serve them at a higher level, Of course, their prices go up oftentimes double, sometimes two and a half or even three, depending on the nature of the service and how underpriced the CPA was when we started. So, of course, there's variation in here. But what happens is you start bringing in higher margin revenue. And when the CPA is thinking about what is in service to my client, what is it that they're really looking for, what business outcomes are they trying to achieve, then It enables you to design your package, your service, so that it supports your client and it gives them a structure or container to operate in. And when they have a structure or container to operate in, then they start behaving a lot better. Without a structure to operate in, like, hey, when can I call you? Or how often can I call you? Or when do we meet? Or do you bill me for seven minute calls or not? They have no structure. And if you're having the experience of having poorly behaving clients who call you and they say things like, hey, can you dig into my financials and figure out what's wrong with my business and let me know by the end of tomorrow? That's just a symptom that your client hasn't been given a structure by you, so they have no idea and they just free range all over your business. When you give your clients packages and higher prices with a structure to go along with it and with a cadence of contact points, meetings, calls, whatever, now suddenly they're like, okay, I don't have to call her all willy-nilly because I know that we're gonna meet on Thursday and they just stack up their questions and you answer them all in one fell swoop. So disengage and high grade, package and price, those two things happen simultaneously. And as you disengage, you package and price, you bring in higher margin clients, and then you disengage a little bit more off the bottom, and then you high grade and package and price a little more from the top. And you kind of come at your client roster from two directions, from the bottom and from the top. And then eventually you find your way somewhere in the middle and you're at the sweet spot. And then you're like, "Okay, great. Now I've reshaped my client roster. That's typically a four to six month project. It just depends on how many clients you have. You know, if you're at 1,000 and you want to go down to 300, it's probably going to take more like eight months. But if you're at 100 and you want to go down to 40, that's something that can probably be done in four to six months, just to give you some sense. As we do those things, or sometimes after, we deal with some of your most pressing challenges. Chances are good you have some gorillas in your business that you need to deal with. Sometimes there are big gorillas, sometimes there are small gorillas, but when we're overwhelmed, we tend to avoid dealing with the gorillas and then they end up eating all the bananas and destroying the furniture. We need to deal with your gorillas and we deal with them by simply taking one at a time and picking one that's the size that you think that you can wrestle down, right? We don't take the 500 pound gorilla right away if it's a huge thing and it's going to take you six months to figure out. We take the size gorillas, the challenges in your business that you've been avoiding but you know you can handle in the next couple of weeks. And we do these serially so that you're not overwhelmed by dealing with a bunch of pressing challenges in your business. We just pick the one that hurts the most that you can wrestle to the ground and we deal with it. Oftentimes, these are staff issues. It might be a miss hire staff who is just, you know, got brought on, they were way greener than expected. And you know that you're just not going to be able to get them trained up to the level that you want. Or it might be a staff issue where the issue is simply that they need training, they're great. You just haven't been able to give them the attention they need to get the training that is suited for the role that they're in. We just need to understand the nature of the problem. And sometimes when we're really busy, when you're in a kind of a state of overwhelm and overwork, you haven't really had time to think through what the actual problem is. So we unpack it, we look at it, we understand what the actual problem is, and then we figure out what the solution is. It could also be difficult clients. You may have one or a handful or lots who are a pain in the rear, and they're chewing up your time. Now, some difficult clients can be converted into really good clients when given the structure or the container for, hey, here's how we roll around here. That can really help clients know what the bounds are, and then they become good clients. They just didn't know how to behave because you haven't told them. Or it might be that they are, in fact, a difficult person, and they need to be disengaged. Sometimes we don't know which until we try. Sometimes you have a gut sense. We go with that. We test it. And it has happened that clients of mine have given their clients the benefit of the doubt and the structure has helped. And other times they've given clients the benefit of the doubt and they've given it a couple of months and they're like, you know what? No. So number three, deal with your pressing challenges. Number four is organizing and protecting your time. No podcast episode of mine would be complete without a good adventure story. So one time I was on a boat to Antarctica and we sailed out the Beagle Channel and found ourselves, you know, en route in the roaring forties and where it gets windy And the winds picked up to 70 miles an hour, and the waves were 70 feet tall. And the captain said, hey, guys, we're going to stop sailing south until this thing blows through. I'm going to point the bow into the waves, and we're just going to ride this out. So we pointed east, and we sat there bobbing for 24 hours. And the bow would go up, and the bow would crash into the face of the oncoming wave, and spray would wash over the bridge and the full length of the boat wrapping all the way around the stern and beyond. And in that time, the captain never left the bridge. He has three stripes on his shoulders. His job is to keep that boat pointed into the waves and into the wind. Now, if the engine room calls up and they're like, hey, we have a question, can you come down and help us? He's like, no, I can't come down and help you. I have to keep my hands on the helm. Because if I don't, and I come down and I help you and we turn sideways, we're capsizing and dumping 100 passengers into 34 degree water. Figure it out. You have a manual and you've been trained. You have three stripes on your shoulders when you run your business. It's your job to keep your hands on the helm and make sure that you're pointing your business in the direction that it needs to go and not getting sucked down into the engine room because your staff has a problem that really they should be able to fix with some research and the manual and the training. And if they can't, then the question is, are they too green or are they in the wrong role? The temptation though, is sometimes to go down into the engine room especially if you love tinkering. And if you came up through accounting and it feels safe and comfortable and fun to figure out things and solve problems and help people, it can be tempting to go down into the engine room. It's your job to know when it is okay for your business for you to go down into the engine room or not. Remember that you have three stripes on your shoulders. It's your job to organize your time. It's your job to protect your time. And it's your job to help The staff who are underneath you, make sure that they are organized and their time is protected because you have a boat full of clients who want to go somewhere and they're relying on you to keep your three stripes on your shoulders and not drop down into the engine room for whatever reason. So the winds ended up dying down. Lots of people were sick. I was not. We made it all the way across. Yes, Antarctica is absolutely incredible. So that's number four, organize and protect your time. And of course, we deal with the thoughts that come up along the way. The most common thoughts that I hear CPAs and accountants say out loud as if it was the absolute truth. I'm a people pleaser. I can't imagine saying no. It's hard for me to say no. I don't know how to say no. I'll just fix it for you. It'll be faster if I fix it. It'll be faster to do it myself. And I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I can't ever get anywhere. So for the people-pleasing thoughts, no big deal. We just need to identify it and start adjusting the thinking from, I can't imagine saying no or I don't know how to say no, to I'm getting better at saying no to things because I need to say yes to the things that are the most important. I say no to things all the time because I have to protect time on my calendar and on my staff's calendar. Thank you so much for asking, but I need to decline your invitation. We get good at saying no. And we also, meanwhile, get good at allowing people to be uncomfortable, disappointed, upset, frustrated, whatever, in our presence while we've said no. That's the hook of people-pleasing, is the idea that we can prevent people from having a certain experience in our presence by saying yes. When we break that habit, you get so much more control of your firm because you get better at saying no, and you're okay when other people are frustrated, disappointed, upset, or whatever. This thought of, I'll just fix it, it'll be faster, may be true in the short run. But in the long run, when you fix it because you think it'll be faster, you avoid teaching your staff person, or your vendor, or your contractor, or whoever, how you want things done. And you keep having to redo it, and redo it, and redo it, and redo it. In the long run, it will be faster if you teach your staff or your contractor now how you want it done because then they know and then they can do it the way you want it the next time. Or maybe it takes a couple of times of reminders and refreshers to be like, remember, remember, this is how I want it. But do that a few times and then they will get it to you the way that you want it so you are simply approving instead of fixing and redoing. And the last one, I'm on a hamster wheel, is a very common statement among CPAs. And if you say to yourself that you're on a hamster wheel, you're going to feel like you're on a hamster wheel running, running, running. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And if you tell your brain that you are on a hamster wheel, your brain's just going to keep up serving up hamster wheel type activities so that you can continue to be on a hamster wheel. When you tell yourself, when you say to yourself, I feel busy right now and I'm finding the way out of this. I'm finding the way out of this. I'm getting myself down to a 40-hour work week because I don't want to feel like I'm on a hamster wheel anymore. We are throwing the hamster wheel out the window. When you say to yourself, I'm finding a new path, one that's going to get me where I want to go, then you tell your brain in the background to go looking for the way that you want to go, and it figures out how to help you get there. Throughout the process of going from 60 hours down to 40, working on the way that we think is one of the most effective but invisible drivers of your progress. So number one, disengage. Number two, high grade, your best clients, package and price. And number three, deal with your most pressing challenges. Get those gorillas back to the zoo where they belong. Number four, organize and protect your time and keep three stripes on your shoulders. And number five, work on the thoughts that you think so that your thoughts help you get where you want to go. I want you to know, that it is absolutely possible for you to work the number of hours a week that you want to work, whether it's 40, whether it's 38 or 32 or 28 or 24 or 18 and a half, you get to decide what you want, and it has nothing to do with the 40-hour standard, which is fiction. You get to decide what you want, and you get to design it. When you do this work of going through this process to reshape your accounting practice, make it higher margin, make it less time for you, it's better for your business, it's better for your clients, and it's better for you and your life on your one trip through space. Have an amazing day. I'll see you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hour CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.